0: Welcome to this verse by verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with assistant pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time you allow us to have to break the bread of your word. We thank you, Lord. That you've been so good to us. You've been so good to us because you are good. That's just who you are. And so we praise you. We pray, Father, that you help us to sense your presence tonight. We pray for wisdom and discernment. We pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for victory and spiritual warfare. Yes. We pray, Lord, that, that you would just continue to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And I also pray personally that I would decrease and you increase. I pray, Lord, that you help me to rightly divide your word of truth and that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So we are in Genesis 32, uh, verses 1 through 21. Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 21. Uh, and the title of the study is Dear God dear God. So not Joseph, but Jacob. Joseph is coming later. But Jacob left Haran in order to go back to Canaan, in order to go back to uh, the promised land. And the Lord is the one who told him to go there. And so he's just following the Lord's direction. It's time uh, for Jacob to go back. Now, also, um, something else that Jacob did, not only did he leave Haran, um, to go to Canaan, but Jacob also dealt with the conflict uh, between himself and his uncle slash father-in-law Laban. Um, and in this chapter, as we continue to talk about Jacob, um, we're going to see that he's preparing to address a person from his past, a person that he had issues with, or better yet, the person had an issue with him, was at odds with him, and that's none other than his twin brother Esau. And so he is preparing uh, to meet him. And so in verses 1 and 2 in Genesis chapter 32, it says, uh, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means double camp or two camps. And so as Jacob traveled from Mitzpah, uh, which is the place where he entered into that covenant with his uncle slash father-in-law Laban, as he traveled from Mitzpah, he again, he went on his way to the promised land, to Canaan. And on his way there, the Bible tells us here that he saw the angels of God. And so we need to address this what are angels well, first of all, the Bible tells us that angels are spirit beings; they're spirit beings, and some angels are in a fallen state, and we call uh, those angels we call those in the fallen state uh, demons. And they made their decision once and for all; therefore, their destination has been sealed once and for all. They made their decision in eternity, and so some angels, like I said, are in a fallen state. Demons, They rebelled against God along with Satan, but then you have some angels that are not in a fallen state, and these are what we call the holy angels. These are the angels that continue to stick with God and worship him. And by the way, those angels that fell were one-third of God's angels, so there's many more of the holy angels that, that are out there. Another thing we find out from the scriptures about angels is that they were created before the foundation of the earth was laid. So they were created before the foundation of the earth was laid. And you see that in Job uh, chapter 38, verses four through seven, where it says that the sons, son, that the sons of God, they, they you know, sang with joy. So they rejoiced. Um, at that point when they saw this being done. So again, that's Job 38, verses 4 through 7, created before the foundation of the earth. And another thing that we notice about angels, especially from uh, the Old Testament, is that angels can take on a human body. Uh, For example, we saw angels appear to Abraham. We saw that there were three of them, but one of them, of course, was what we call a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus or some would say a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. But the other two were angels who appeared to be men. So they, they they appeared in this human body. And the Bible also tells us when it comes to angels that they are of a higher order of creatures than humans because the Bible says that humans, that is man, we were made a little lower than the angel's. And the Bible also tells us in Colossians one, uh, verse sixteen, just for as an example, that there are different ranks of angelic beings, and the same goes. And the same goes for demonic beings as well. There's these different ranks. We also see these. Um, <clears throat> I guess these different kinds or types of angelic beings, like the cherubim and and the seraphim, and and Satan, of course, he was a cherub. Okay, he fell because he was lifted up with pride. He wanted to be God, take the place of God. Uh, but for us today, as believers, yes, we know that that angels do exist, and no, we can't see them just with our naked eye unless the Lord. Um, Allows us to see them. But the Bible tells us that they are ministering spirits and they minister uh, to believers. For example, in Hebrews 114, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so there's ministering spirits who, who help us, who help those of us who will inherit salvation. That is, the believers, those of us who have placed our trust in Christ for salvation. But notice that when Jacob saw these angels, he said that it was God's camp. And he named the place Mahanaim, which is a place east of the Jordan River in the hill country of Gilead. And so we see that because angels are there, which means that, okay, God is watching. So therefore, this must be God's camp. And so he he gave it the name Mahanaim because it means two camps or double camps. So Jacob is like, not only is it my camp, but this is also God's camp because obviously God is present. God is watching. His angels are here. And I see these angels that normally we wouldn't be able to see. But like I said, God allowed Jacob to see them. And once again, their their presence was just a reminder to Jacob that, that yes, God is his deliverer. He, He is his protector. He is watching over him. See, some of us are unaware, not just some of us in this room, but just people in general. Some in general are just unaware or forget that there is a spiritual world. And, they, and, and some of us forget because um, we can't see them. That, that's not, we don't normally see angels, but there is, of course, the Bible tells us there's angels there. They, they minister to those of us who'll inherit salvation The Bible tells us that there's spiritual warfare that is going on, which involves, of course, fallen angels. It involves us. It involves uh, the holy angels. But, of course, uh, there's God himself who is present. And I can say that with confidence because the scriptures tell us or teach that he is omnipresent. So he is present everywhere at the same time. But there's time, of course, and, and I mentioned him before, where he can manifest his presence, where he can um, go from being omnipresence to showing you that, yes, he's at work right here and right now, just as with the burning bush or with the miracle. But, but he's omnipresent. So yes, he's there. There's, there's angels all around, there's, there, there's demonic spirits. And so like I said, we, we, we don't want to become unaware of that or be unaware or stay that way, or forget that that's the case. You see, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there was a king of a place named Syria. This, so, so this king of Syria, he was preparing to go to war against the king of Israel. And this was the northern kingdom, by the way, and the southern kingdom was Judah. Uh, But he was preparing to go against this northern kingdom. But every time this king of Syria planned something against uh, the king of Israel, his plan was thwarted. And his plan was thwarted um, to the point that he thought that there was uh, maybe a traitor in his camp. That there was some type of person maybe in his army or of the Syrians who was giving away the secrets because um, the plan just wouldn't work out every time he tried to do something against the king of Israel and against this northern kingdom of Israel. And so he began to question, Okay, who's the traitor? Just putting it in my own words. But but somebody made it known to him. I believe it was one of his servants. They made it known to him that there is this prophet, this man of God in Israel. His name is Elisha. And he can tell you things that you've said in your bedroom. And that's only because the Lord was revealing it to him. And so pretty much he, he told on Elisha that, that, hey, he is the one who is sharing these secrets, these war secrets with the king of Israel. Therefore, none of your plans, king of Syria, are working. And so this king of Syria, now that he identified the culprit, so to speak, he, he sent horses, chariots and a great army to Dothan. And, and he surrounded the city just to get Elisha. And so we see in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 15 and 18, uh, uh, a set of scriptures, and they're very interesting. It says, and when the servant of the men of God arose early and went out, the man of God being Elisha, it says, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, that is Elisha, alas, my master, what shall we do? And so Elisha answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And instruct them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And so and so notice that there was more with them than was with the other side. And so that's something we need to consider. That's something that we need to remember when it seems that everyone else and all else is against us. That first and foremost we have the Lord who is with us. And it is the Lord who will never forsake us. But second of all, when he chooses, he dispatches his angels to help us as well. And then, of course, he uses our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, too, need to remember that there are more with us than against us. But most importantly, just to bring you back to it, I want you to just remember that if God is all you have, then God is all you need. And so the bottom line is, is is that we need to remember that wherever we are or wherever we're going, we are not alone. Because remember, God is there. He is watching over us, just like how he was watching over Jacob in this narrative. In verses three through five, it says, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country or the land of Edom. And Edom, by the way, is an area that is south of the Dead Sea. Edom, if you recall, is another name for Esau. Again, Jacob's twin brother, twin older brother. And Edom actually means red. And it reminds us of when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for some red stew. And it also reminds us of the fact that when Esau was born, he came out red and hairy. And so Esau, Edom is the same person. Um, The land of Edom, the territory of Edom came from Esau. And it says in verse four, and he commanded them. Speaking of Jacob, he commended his messenger saying, speak this way to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant, Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor or grace and kindness in your sight. And so, first of all, we need to understand that Jacob actually has the preeminence over his twin brother Esau, even though Jacob is the younger brother. And that's because God said that the older is going to serve the younger. Way back in Genesis chapter 25. In fact, um, Isaac in his prayer a blessing over Jacob even said as much, although Isaac thought he was praying for Esau. But of course, we know the deception there that was played. We know that Jacob had pretended to be Esau. But but, whatever the um, point is, j- just want to remind you that whatever Esau or Isaac prayed and uh, whatever God said back in Genesis 25 It was the same thing that the older, that is Esau, shall serve the younger. Jacob is going to serve over all of his brethren. And so here we see that in those verses, we can notice that Jacob is calling Esau lord or master, And so we see that this man of God is is demonstrating some humility as he is referring to his brother in that way, even though he has the birthright, even though he has the blessings. And he received those things technically before he was even born or had done anything good or bad. The same goes for Esau. It was it was God's plan. And so Jacob, again, he didn't even have to um, he didn't have to be deceptive in getting these things. But even though he had that, here you see him demonstrating humility, addressing his brother, who is supposed to be serving him as his master. You see, Jacob left home as someone who had deceived his father. But then made his way back home from Haran as someone who had experienced deception himself. He's someone who's experienced a friendly face in Laban, that is, at first. And that friendly face had eventually turned hostile toward him. It soured on him. And so Jacob, in other words, he experienced some things while he was away from home, from Canaan. And as he spent time in Haran serving his uncle for 20 years, those experiences... Now, the fact that he's about to perhaps cross his brother again, created some type of change in him, and we see this humility, and it's the same for us, how, how God can use the experiences in our lives to, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to humble us. And humility, by the way, is a great characteristic to have. It's not something to, to look down on, to frown upon. It's a great characteristic or quality to have. You see, humility is the quality or condition of being humble. And the word humble means marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit. Not arrogant or Prideful, So so a person who's humble, they, they see themselves in the correct way. And I mentioned that humility is a great quality or characteristic to have because, first of all, God wants us to be this way. If God wants it for us, then we should be that way. And second of all, it shows, speaking of being humble, it shows that we are aware of our weakness. A person who is not aware of that. Who's not aware of their own frame that that we're just dust, so to speak. That we're finite. A person who's not aware of that is a person who is going to operate in pride. See, humility is also an attitude that leads to a dependency on God. That is right where God wants us to be. And therefore, it opens up us to opportunities to experience the power of God in our lives. Because just like the Apostle Paul said, as he was led by the Holy Spirit, as he was given the inspired word by the Holy Spirit, just as he said that when I'm weak, I am strong. God's God's power can be revealed more clearly through a person who is in that position of humility and understands their weakness. Therefore, only God can get the glory. So it really opens us up to truly experience the power of God in our lives. And, and there won't be any confusion at all. Was it, was it me doing that? Was, who, who was it doing that? No, because you are in the place where you're supposed to be attitude-wise in that position of humility when, when powerful things happen through you in you. Oh, you know that it's, that it's the Lord. But the, but the fifth thing or the fifth reason that humility is a great characteristic to have is that um, it also opens us up to receive grace from God. As it tells us in, in James 4, 6, it, it says that God resists. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the, and the sixth reason is that it's a mark of true greatness in the eyes of God. In fact, when a person abases or humbles themselves, lowers themselves, then God will lift up that person. God will be the one to elevate that person. And once again, God gets the glory. And you don't want to have to work hard to keep yourself there because you didn't put yourself there. And then the seventh reason I have here that uh, of why humility is a great quality to have is that Jesus was humble. He humbled himself. So Philippians chapter 2 tells us, it tells us that, that, that although he could have continued to hold on to what made him equal with God, the father, and he is equal with God, the father. He never changed his essence. But but he humbled himself and taken upon himself a human body. And he came in the form of a servant and he was obedient to the will of the father and going to the cross. And so even in taking upon a human body and humbling himself in that way. What happened was that he he still kept his deity, but but what he temporarily laid aside was the independent use of his divine privileges. And so, yes, there were times where the father allowed him to use his omniscience. And so there, there were some times where, where Jesus would say that he doesn't he doesn't need to for, for anybody to tell him anything about man because he already knew what was in man's heart, then there were times where he said he didn't know when he was going to come back because he voluntarily and temporarily laid aside the, the, the independent use of his divine privileges because he's humbled himself. But it did not mess with his essence. He continued to remain God, but now he's God who took upon a human body, fully God, fully man. We saw his humility. Uh, this is an example to follow, a seventh reason, once again, uh, for us to, to see how humility is a great characteristic to have because we are being, in other words, Christ-like, following the example of our Savior and Lord. In verses 6 through 8, it says, then the messengers returned to Jacob, and this is what they said. They said, uh, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies or groups. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. And so although Jacob had sent the message of peace, through some messengers to Esau, it seems as though Esau is coming with war on his mind. That's what it appears to be with him coming with these 400 men. And now, according to Jacob's memory, you have to be mindful of the fact that the last thing he heard about his brother Esau 20 years ago was that he wanted to kill Jacob. So that's the last thing he's heard. That's that's all he knows about his brother. The latest news he's heard about him. And so you can only imagine what's going on through his mind. But yet and still, we we see that Jacob, that, that he is operating in fear. He feared that, yes, his brother Esau would still want revenge. But he is making an assumption And by the way, in regard to us, there are many things that we are afraid of, but they're not actually based on facts. But but they're based on what we think or what we have been told. But instead, God wants us to turn our focus. He he wants us to turn our attention to him because the Bible, in fact, does say that God has not given us a spirit of fear. As it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but what, of what? Of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so through the Holy Spirit, God has given us power. He's given us power to serve. He, he's given us power to witness. He's given us power to, to live the lives that he wants us to live, the Christ-like lives that he wants for us. He's given us power to overcome struggles in our lives. He, he's given us Power. He's given us love to love the way we ought to love. He, he's given us also a sound mind, which the word sound could mean calm or self-control. So he has given us a calm, self-controlled mind that makes good judgment. That is through his Holy Spirit. He has not given us a spirit of fear. And so if God has not given that to us, then it must come from a different source. And we're just biting on it. We're just biting on that bait. But but unfortunately, we, we live in a world where uh, we have some politicians and some uh, news media and social media personalities and so-called experts and, and even people in an entertainment industry. We, unfortunately, we, we have people to promote information that is not based on facts. It's not based on Quote unquote true science, which will be based on, if it were real science, it would be based on something that's observable and it will be based on inf- investigation and evidence. And, and so you start from the facts and you work from there and you don't add your propaganda, you don't add your beliefs to it, you, you just see the evidence that's there and you present the facts. But unfortunately, that's not what we have been seeing. It's not based on what's really going on. It's not even based, more importantly, on the word of God. But yet and still, there's politicians and social media folks and, and, and news media folks. They're putting out information and it's false and it's stirring up fear, promoting fear in people. And people are biting on it. Hook, line and sinker. See, the enemy is using them to promote fear and to move you from the position you should be in, which is a position of faith. You see, what happens is fear causes us to plot or do some irrational things. And so what we see here, just getting back to the narrative, we we see that um, this Jacob is operating from fear, not faith, as he's dividing the flocks and herds, and and he has this plan in place. So in the same way, yes, this fear can cause us to plot, can cause us to do something irrational. And I don't have to go back into the history of mankind for us to talk about something that that folks use to stir up fear within us. And I call that, quote-unquote, COVID season, something that we can all identify with. You know, in 2020, uh, you know, when when there were no people in here, whether it's on a Wednesday or Sunday, uh, whoever taught, whether it's me, Pastor Al, Pastor Jim, we we had to talk to that camera. So for a long time, even when people came back, I was still talking to the camera because the room was empty. We, we had the worship team here and maybe one, you know, it's probably a total of four people in here. But but we were getting used during, quote unquote, COVID season to speaking to the camera. But in 2020, I remember sharing a message when when I was teaching uh, through the gospel of Mark in chapter 1, verses 20 through 31, and, and the title was After the Fever is Gone. And I didn't design that, especially because we were in, quote, unquote, COVID season in 2020. I'm just going through the scriptures and, and that's what we landed on. We, we landed on the scripture that was talking about Peter's mother-in-law who got sick with the fever. Uh, but notice that after Jesus healed her of the fever, she got up and she served them. She served Jesus and the disciples and so the message that I shared that way that day is to pretty much address how people were going to come out of the fever season or the quote unquote COVID season. Were they going to continue in the same old lifestyle or whatever that they're going to continue in the same old fear? Or are they going to get up when the Lord brings them through it and start serving the Lord as they should and serving others in the name of Jesus? But now it's 2024, uh, almost almost 4 years later and unfortunately uh, some people are still loyal to and they're supporting the same people and organizations that cause more problems for them and others Amen. why stirring up fear with which god didn't give us the spirit of fear that propaganda of fear, and this is just an example. I could point to many things, but, but once again, I'm only using this, not picking on anybody. I'm using this because, like I said, it's more recent to the history of mankind. You see, this propaganda during COVID season, it led to ruined relationships, even within families. And some of those relationships have still not been prepared, been repaired, I should say. Why? Because we allow fear to control us oh that fear that that come from that propaganda cost people jobs and some people still finding a hard time trying to trying to get work again they still having a hard time finding work oh it cost people their peace and joy it, it also allowed for things that were anti-church to come in where where you have folks in, in leadership telling folks you can't sing in church you have to cover your mouth and sing silliness in the gyms had to run on a treadmill with the mask on. I mean, just, un, just stuff like that, and 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 unfortunately, people are still they are still buying into that fear. It even made people feel justified in not coming to church. So so really, what it did, and I think Pastor Tony shared this before in one of his messages. He shared on, on a Sunday as he filled in for Pastor Jim is that, that that COVID really revealed hearts. And so people who didn't want to be here anyway, they still haven't come back. All in the name of what? Fear. So you don't allow fear to control you or lead your actions. We see a real life example that I just shared. We see the example in the text here with Jacob allowing fear to control him and lead his actions got a sense that some people are going to be mad, but but i'm in, i'm not in the business of making people happy <laughs> and, and verses nine through twelve says then, then Jacob said or prayed or." O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you or I will cause you to prosper. It says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies that is loving kindness and compassion and of all the truth that is faithfulness or continued goodness. So he said, I'm not I'm not worthy of that which you have shown to me, your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan, speaking of the Jordan River, with my staff or walking stick, and now I have become two companies or groups of peoples. A deliverer save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children, for you said I will surely treat you well, or I will cause you to prosper, Is what he's saying, and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so there we see Jacob's prayer. Now, of course, it would have been nice if we, he would have prayed first instead of operating in fear. But I give him this. At least he prayed. And verses 13 through 21, it says, so he lodged there that same night. He, and he took what came to his hand. So the livestock that he had acquired, that's what, he, that's what came to his hand. And he took it as a present for Esau, his brother. He took 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes or female sheep and 20 rams. He took, in verse 15, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Um, Depending on which version, English version of the Bible you're reading, it could say um, 10 donkey colts or 10 male donkeys. In verse 16, it says, Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord or master Esau. And behold, he's also behind us, speaking of Jacob. And so he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Be sure to say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, that is to himself, or you could say he thought to himself, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards, I will see his face, I'll see my brother's face, and perhaps just maybe he will accept me. And so the present, that is these herds of livestock, they went on over before him, but he himself, Jacob himself, he lodged, he stayed that night in the camp. So even after that prayer, yes, we can see that, that Jacob still did not totally trust the Lord. He continued to plot, we see, even after he prayed, he sent these gifts to his brother Esau, hoping that he would forgive him before they had that face to face meeting. And what it looks like here, based on the scripture, is that Jacob divided the gifts to Esau. It looks like these were maybe five separate droves. And so the first drove of animals, or it would have been the goats, then the second, the sheep, and he had distance in between each drove and then the camels, and then he sent the cattle. And so, the, in other words, the, the, the cows and the, um, and the bulls, he, he sent them. And then you see, lastly, he sent the, the donkey. So it looks like he sent maybe five different droves with, with, with significant space in between them. And every time um, Esau, and this was the plan, every time Esau saw a drove and asked who they belonged to, you know, they were supposed to, to tell him that they, these are Jacob's, your servants. You know, this is a present for you. And your servant, Jacob, hey, he's, he's behind us, by the way. And so each drove of animals that came before him was, it's almost like was intended to soften him up. So, so when he finally got to Jacob and had that face-to-face meeting... And maybe he would be at the point to embrace him and forgive him, to accept him. And so, you know, not only was Jacob fearful, but obviously we see that he was regretful of his past deception, which he didn't have to be deceptive because, as I mentioned earlier in the study, the, the birthright and the blessings belonged to Jacob anyway, because God said so even before they were born. But, but despite Jacob not totally trusting God, and it's not like we don't have that issue at times, So I know we have lapses of faith, and so I'm just presenting the facts. I'm not looking down on Jacob or anything like that. I don't want you to do that, but, but I want you to learn from what he went through, and so I don't want to make it seem like I'm looking down on him, because like I said, we do have lapses of faith, unfortunately. Hopefully, we're getting better with that. But, but uh, although he was in that place of not totally trusting God, what I do admire is the fact that he wanted to make things right. He, he wanted to make amends with his brother, his twin brother Esau. And even for us, if possible, we, we, we should want to have peace with others as well that we are at odds with currently. And yes, it may involve us apologizing. Or even forgiving others, but, but it's biblical. Romans twelve eighteen 18 says, um, If it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible. In other words, you do your part. Do your part. Try to live peaceably with all men. Man, we, we can't control what other people do. And, and here we see Jacob is trying to do that. So I do give him credit for that. And that's something for us to, to learn as well. Not only through his examples, but you see a New Testament scripture there. It supports that thought. But as you see, during his travels, Jacob knew that he would cross his brother's path. And his fear of Esau. Notice this because we're going to talk about prayer a little bit. Notice that his fear of Esau prompted him to pray. So in this study that's entitled Dear God. we, We can actually pick up some prayer points from Jacob's prayer. And the first prayer point that we can see in regard to Jacob's prayer can be found in verse nine. Because in verse 9 of Genesis 32, we see that Jacob made sure that he was addressing the, the real God, the true and the living God. He's not addressing any God, but, but he's addressing the God of his, uh, of his father Abraham, who really is his grandfather, and, and the God of his father Isaac. He's addressing the same God who spoke to him in that dream. That same God who also told him to return to his country and to his family. And I will deal well with you. He was specific in which God he was addressing. And so this is something that we can learn from in our prayers. And so I do want to make sure that you know we're not going to cover every single last point of prayer, but just the prayer points that we get in this particular study from Jacob's prayer. So I want to throw that out to you. That way you don't come afterward and say, Pastor Darrell, you missed that. And we were only addressing the points we see here in the text. And so as we pray, we want to make sure that we are addressing the true and the living God. And praise God, I know, I know most of you. Now, know you serve the true and the living God. You have a relationship with him through trust, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so you are praying to the God of the Bible. And when I say the God of the Bible, I'm talking about the God that the Bible speaks of. I'm talking about the God who inspired the Bible. The words that we are reading, that we're talking about tonight, these are breathed out by God. And it was given to men that God set aside to write them down. We are addressing the true and the living God. We are addressing the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We are addressing the great I am tonight. That is the God we are worshiping. That is the God we pray to, the same God of Paul, the same God that Peter worshiped, the the same God that the other apostles in the Bible, in the book of Acts worship. We are praying and we are to address that God, this God of the Bible. So that's prayer point number one. You see, prayer point number two that we get from the study can be found in Genesis chapter 32, of verse 10a. So in other words, the first part of that verse. Because there we see that Jacob stated that I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. I'm not worthy, God, of the loving kindness and compassion. And I'm not worthy of all the truth, the faithfulness or your continual goodness, which you have showed to me, the one who serves you. And so he is approaching God with humility. And by the way, other great men of the Bible understood this. How to approach the God of the Bible with humility. You see, after the Lord made it known to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. After God made it known to him that that Sodom and Gomorrah were in the crosshair of judgment. Abraham began to check with the Lord about how many righteous people it would take for him to um, spare the city from judgment. Because his nephew Lot, by the way, was in Sodom. That's where he lived. And in his conversation with the Lord, Genesis 18, 27 says, Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, I am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak with the Lord. And he proceeded to to ask the Lord. So he went from 50. What if 50 are righteous in the city? Will you destroy it? The Lord said, No. Well, then he said, then, indeed, I am who I'm am but dust and ashes. I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. How about 45? And he kept going down. But notice how he, Abraham, how he approached the Lord in humility. And so it's not just Jacob, but his grandfather, Abraham, who approached the Lord in this way. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, there, there's also a great man of faith. By the name of David or King David. And so just to give the context, this comes what we're about to read comes after uh, Nathan uh, passed on a message from the Lord to King David, letting him know that, hey, you're not the one who's going to build the temple for me. I know it's in your heart, but you're not the one who's going to do it. Your son is going to do it. We know that Solomon built the temple. And so Nathan, the prophet, shared that information with him. And then not on top of that, the Lord shared something very awesome with King David. He told them that, that, hey, you're not going to be able to do this for me. I know it's in your heart. You're not going to be able to do that. But the Lord added some blessings on it. He told them that he's going to establish his royal dynasty. He's going to establish his, his kingdom and his throne forever. And of course, we know that will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so when King David heard that, we see in Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, we see that King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord? See the humility. He said, And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And so we see that, that Jacob and people like Abraham and, and, and people like King David, you see them approaching the Lord with humility. And, and that's a lesson there for us. To to pray to the Lord, knowing that you need his grace and mercy. Go to him with that type of heart, with that type of attitude. Lord, I know I don't deserve your blessing. I know I don't deserve your goodness. Uh, But Lord, I, I thank you for allowing me to come to your throne of grace. I thank you for allowing me to come to you to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in my time of need. But there's also a third prayer point from this prayer that Jacob gave and that is acknowledging the blessings of God, as we see in in, in verse 10b back in Genesis 32. You see, because when Jacob left, when he left Canaan, he didn't own anything except for a walking stick. But now his household is filled with two large camps. Acknowledge the blessings of God and in Deuteronomy 8:18, 8, as Moses is talking to the children of Israel, he says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get well, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You have to acknowledge where our wealth comes from, where our blessings come from. And in Psalm 1835, a Psalm of David, it says, you have given me the shield of your salvation. So in other words, the salvation comes from you. The deliverance comes from you. Your right hand has held me up. So Lord, if you see me standing, Lord, if you, if you see me, you know although I should be buckling and I should be faltering, but, but the fact that I'm still standing, the, still, the fact that I'm still moving forward and pressing forward in life is because your right hand held me up. Your gentleness or your help has made me great. So, so even there in those two scriptures that I share with you, we see that along with Jacob, they are acknowledging the blessings of God, something that we can learn from because God has done such great things things for us, so that should not be something that is hard for us to do as we approach the true and the living God in prayer. But a fourth prayer point is the request for help. Whatever you need, ask for it. Simple as that. We see that in the first half of uh, Genesis 32, verse 11. Whatever you need, if you need any help, ask for it. And Jacob did that. And that's a point as I as I share with you that that I took to myself and, and wanted to present that to you as well. But but here's the thing that I really love about this prayer, and that's prayer point number five. It has be honest. And you see the, the second half of verse 11, he said, For I fear him. He said, I fear my brother, lest he come back and attack me and the mother with the children. And so he let the Lord know that I'm afraid. Be honest with the Lord in your prayers. He, he knows what you're feeling anyway. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Lord, I'm having a hard time liking that person. Lord, I, I actually, I know I shouldn't be hating people, but I, but I hate that person for how they treated me. Lord, I'm having a hard time forgiving that person. When you're honest with the Lord, you open yourself up to receive his help. And so he is honest with the Lord. I'm fearful, Lord, help me. And then get this. You see, prayer point number six says include God's word in the prayer, which means you actually have to read and study the word of God. You see, Jacob brought up in, in verse 12 what God has said to him about blessing him and multiplying his descendants. And by the way, Jacob nor we should do that because there's a chance we think he's going to forget his word or not fulfill his promises. So it's not that he's going to forget it. And not fulfill his promise, but, but it's about us saying to him, yes, Lord, I, you said it, I, I receive it, I believe that. And, and I just want to let you know that I, I remember that I trust your word. It's not about forcing the hand of God, but, but it's okay to bring up God's word in our prayers as the worship team takes the stage. And so a question that I have for you tonight is, is what do you need to pray about? And maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe you have. A lot of prayer warriors in here. But, but here are some questions to help you out if you don't know what you should be praying about. Is there anybody you fear? Is there anything that you fear? What scenario are you fearing if so? Or maybe there's somebody that you're concerned about. You're concerned about their salvation. You, you can, you're concerned about them doing some type of self-harm. Or you're concerned about somebody who needs help. What person are you concerned about those are people you should be praying for what are you worried about whatever it may be that 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 that's something you should be taken to the lord whether it's uncertainty of day-to-day life the direction of your country your family whatever it may be you take it to the lord whatever you're anxious or worried about this philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 says to be anxious for nothing in other words don't be worried don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer it's a broad term for communication with god everything by prayer go to him supplication requests you know these are your specific requests the supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through christ jesus So in other words, as we look at these two verses, it means, in other words, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And then it is promised here that we'll experience the peace of God. And peace is that state of assurance. It's a lack of fear. It's a sense of contentment. Peace is freedom from worry. It's freedom from disturbances within our soul. And it's it's freedom from oppressive thoughts. So if we don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, go to to the God of the scriptures, then we'll experience his peace. And notice what that peace will do. It says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And what's interesting here is the word guard in the Greek. It could be used in the military way. It means to protect by a military guard or to prevent hostile invasion. And so as you go to God in prayer, instead of worrying about it, then peace will act actually as a soldier, and it will protect you from the evading uh, thought of worry or even fear. And that peace, by the way, will guard our hearts. So in other words, it will guard us emotionally from where fear comes from, and it also guards our thought life. But you must go to the God of the Bible in prayer. And so as we stand for this last song, and go ahead and stand. I'm going to sing a last song to the Lord. I just want to challenge you as believers, challenge all of us to, to, to be committed to have more dear God moments. In other words, times of prayer, because we needed, our family needed, our prayers, uh, our, our, our church needed. They need our prayers. Let's pray, Father, we thank you for allowing us to come to you in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you answer prayers. We do pray, Father, for forgiveness for those times that we haven't trusted in you. But instead, we operated in fear and worry. But Lord, tonight, help us to be more committed to taking everything to you in prayer instead of being anxious or fearful. And Lord God, I pray for anybody who doesn't have a personal relationship with you. I pray for them to be drawn to Jesus. I pray for the spiritual blinders to be lifted. May you equip us